welcome into the Upper Left Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Jack Anderson. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your podcast listening medium of choice and give it a review if you feel so inclined. Today on the show, we have Dan Brandy. Dan is the owner of Build, in located in Connecticut, and has spent a significant portion of his 10-year career working for Prentice Hockey Performance, located in the Northeast region of the United States. I love Dan's uh, outlook on energy systems development and concurrent training within energy systems. So I knew I wanted to dig in and discuss his use of the Moxie Monitor and how he trains concurrently. Uh, And that is the focus of today's episode. For those who are not familiar with the Moxie Monitor, I think it's going to be one of the most influential energy systems development tools uh, coming down the pipe. And I can't wait for it to become more mainstream so we can shift the dialogue of how the energy how energy systems truly work. And Dan does a great job introducing this topic here for those who might not be familiar. Without further ado, this is Dan Brandy. Hope you all enjoy. Dan, thanks a lot for joining the show. Really appreciate you uh, making the time for me here. I mean, obviously, it's been great, honestly, the last couple of months because everyone has time. So <laughs> I get to I ask anybody, they're like, sure, please, something to do. <laughs> No, exactly. Honored. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure, man. Um, so I wanted to dive into, well, actually, you know what? Give me a little bit of your background first, just for the listeners, and then we could dive into some of the Moxie stuff and whatnot. Yeah, sure. I, uh, I work as a personal trainer, I guess. Just started uh, my own gym here, and I have been doing it for probably a little over 10 years. Initially, uh, let's go kind of quick here, um, interned with Rajesh Patel at Quinnipiac. From there, did strength conditioning coaching at a couple high schools, went to uh, apprentice hockey performance, and then went on my own maybe two years ago at this point. So, Awesome, man. Awesome. That's great stuff. So, um, so yeah, and I know we've been in a couple of uh, Google chats and Google Hangout groups uh, with some other people in the Northeast. And um, one of the things that I've kind of been interested in is the Moxie Monitor. And I think it's kind of gaining some traction in a lot of the fitness circles on Instagram and everything. But I was real curious... Uh, if you could just take me through kind of a brief overview, uh, just for the listeners, of of what it is and maybe some of the things that it's changed um, in terms of our views on energy systems. Sure. Um, so I initially got exposed to it from the guys that train Adapt Evolve. Um, I think they're really good at kind of using it and applying some of it. Biggest thing I think for so I'll explain what it is. It is a it's a small it's a small it's like the size of a little beeper. What you do is you'll put it on the muscle you're going to be working that day, you know, and obviously it's, you know, if I'm doing something like running, a lot's going to be working. But so maybe I put it on like, the, maybe I just put it on the quad, um, vastus lateralis or hamstring, depending on what I'm going to be looking at. Uh, I think one of the things is make sure you put it in the same spot each time just so you can get kind of consistent data. Uh, from there, I'll just look at what's going on. So it's going to, it uses near infrared to look at the, A, the oxygen going to the muscle and be the, the blood flow. So it's hemoglobin. So it'll be local um, SMO2 or the oxygen supply and then hemoglobin coming in. So, and then as far as use, it will, you know, you'll look at standard kind of what you'll get is it'll give you a value of what kind of blood flow is coming in, what kind of O2 is being used at just rest. So maybe that's, you know, for someone like me, I'll put it on best slider else. Maybe it's at 65%. So now if I do a warm up, ideally, you know, I have blood flow that's a little higher. Maybe I get my blood flow up to 75, 80%. If I do a hard interval, ideally I could desat all the way and I can get that blood flow down, or excuse me, that oxygen saturation down to 10% or under, you know, under if I'm looking to work kind of lactate, anaerobic glycolysis, things like that. If I'm looking to work, you know, more of an aerobic thing, kind of steady state and keep oxygen present, maybe I'll work it down to like 40% and I'll just hover there. Um, so those are kind of like the, you know, like kind of overview of like the easy, not easy, but like the big block things you might do with it. Now, what are you seeing uh, from, you know, we, we talk like Joel Jameson's book is excellent. We, we, we understand like work to rest, heart ratio or, you know, heart rates and stuff like that. Um, but I feel like this kind of gives you a little more insight beyond some things that we just kind of have to almost eyeball and guess what's going on from an energy system standpoint. This is kind of giving us a lot more information about what's actually going on when we, um, I guess, administer certain protocols. Sure. Uh, no, absolutely. So I think the biggest thing was getting away from this idea that, you know, we have like a lactic work and then anaerobic work and then oxidative work. Um, 
and thinking, you know, that like, okay, uh, zero to 15 seconds, whatever is alactic, 15 to 60 is anaerobic, you know, no oxygen present. And then 60 and above is, is, you know, oxidative and oxygen intensive work. Um, and I think it's, you know, a kind of something that's pretty well known, I think is that they're all working all the time. Like, so if we just do, if we do alactic, we'll just call that, you know, like phosphocreatine is going to be present. Like that's, that's kind of the big energy block that we're trying to build. Um, lactate, you know, is always going to be there. Um, and then oxygen, I think, is the big one. I think there was always this thought that, you know, anything zero to six seconds is like, you don't need oxygen. Oxygen isn't working. There's, you know, it's meaningless. Uh, what you see, though, with <clears throat> excuse me, the moxie is if I do a hard six-second sprint and I've got the moxie monitor on, you know, whatever, big work muscle, my vast lateral, uh, you're going to see that oxygen dive. It's going to start kind of high. And it's going to dive down to zero in probably six to eight seconds. Like, especially if you're a pretty good sprinter, it's going to come down quick. And it pretty much coincides with, like, a power drop also. Um, it's likely, like, the myoglobin, you know, the oxygen that's present at the muscle there. But it just shows that, like, oxygen is necessary there. It is, you know, an important component um, to even that initial sprint. So, so is that – so that oxygen is being used to help – rephosphorylate phosphocreatine is that what's going on with it or is it doing something else or are we not sure right uh and it's it's a good question that's that would be my guess too is that like yes that that is what it's being used for quickly um you know whatever oxygen it's going to be my biggest i mean oxygen's gonna be like the ultimate acceptor of electrons you know it's going to help me oxidate fuel and i'm going to use that if it's there probably you know pretty quickly um, just because it is so efficient. So that's my guess too, right? Is that, you know, something happened quick. Let's get oxygen in. Let's try and resynthesize phosphocreatine. Um, even like, and I know, um, probably talk about this later too, but with some like the repeated sprint stuff, like some of the literature there, they will show, you know, <clears throat> the first sprint, especially with fast people is going to be like, it's, you know, primarily if I could use these anaerobic or these glycolytic pathways, like I'm probably faster. And I think that's likely the case just because of other mechanisms. So like, I'm going to be able to create this really hard contraction. I'm probably going to be really fast twitch and fast twitch is probably going to use, you know, like anaerobic glycolytic pathways as well. So I'm going to be using or producing lactate quicker. Um, it's going to be like a tunnel neural drive. I'm going to get these hard contractions versus a slow twitch person, you know, they might not rely on that as much. So we might not even see that desat of oxygen. It might go down to like, I don't know, 20% and just kind of hover there. So now they always have oxygen there, but they're not really getting like these hard efforts. So I think it, it leads to, I guess it leads to better sprint performance kind of indirectly. Um, oh, and then kind of piggybacking off of that. I know in one of the, um, in a piece of literature, it was talking about the ability to, to I guess, resynthesize uh, phosphocreatine or reoxygenate the muscle was associated with higher repeated sprints. Um, so even though they saw more like anaerobic glycolytic uh, work on that first initial one, and even like at the ones after, my thought was almost that that's probably a, it's probably more has to do with the fact that they, they can create such, you know, they have that speed reserve. So I'm going to be faster initially. And maybe that's anaerobic also, like, you know, I'm using everything. So I'm faster right off the bat. And now it just hovers a little higher. Like all my speeds are a little higher. But I think if I could increase that oxygen, reoxygenation of muscle, increase phosphocreatine that way also, like it's a pretty efficient way. I'm probably not getting muscular damage. You know, I'm going to be better off there too. I think it's separating the two if that made any sense. No, that, to that totally does. And yeah, I, I, I like that you brought up the whole, um, uh, just kind of the way sprinting, <laughs> or people without like slower twitch people, they don't have that output. So they're not going to, they're not utilizing whatever it is enough to be able to just bottom that oxygen out in, a, in an effort. Correct. Right. 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 hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes total sense. Yeah. So, so now like flipping over to oxygen, it seems like to me that with all the stuff I've read about this is oxygen is like the key to a lot of this. And that kind of vibes with my ideal. For example, let's take a team sport athlete where, and I, I don't want to demonize glycolysis, but I don't want my team sport athlete, at least in my mind, to be spending a lot of time in that realm, considering that we have to repeat efforts throughout a game constantly at a pretty high output. And 
to me, it seems like glycolysis would not favor that, that going very well. Maybe you disagree and you can tell me if you do, but, but I think it now comes back to the fact that oxygen is the key to all this. And, and it seems like from other podcasts I've listened to and in talking to you some, it seems like the, the rate, potential rate limiting factors in performance for phosphocreatine or just keeping oxygen around is delivery and utilization of oxygen. Would that be accurate? Yeah. Yeah, I would, uh, what was I going to say? Yeah, agree there. Um, yeah, I think for a few reasons, just kind of starting with that first part of, right, avoiding too much of that glycolytic, you know, anaerobic stuff that produces lactate, produces heat, produces acid. Um, I think it also inhibits uh, phosphofructokinase, which is going to inhibit uh, ATP production. And that's just going to be a function of like, uh, you know, my body's trying to protect the muscle that's actually working. So yeah, it might have its benefits. But the thing is, is that when I'm doing it, my output is inevitably going to drop. So it's like, so what's my goal, I guess, would be my thought. And I think, um, like you were saying, like, my primary goal is to be faster. And if I now just start kind of working in this, like, this glycolytic mid-zone, I'm kind of training just to be, like, mid-paced, fast, like, probably has some other costs just related to health. Um, I think we need oxygen just, you know, we need it to produce movement. We need it for create signals throughout the body, like biosynthesis of everything. Um, <clears throat> so kind of having said that, um, I agree with you of like, you know, we want these high output days that are highly neural and then we want these, these oxygen days. So I think the three limiting factors and two of them kind of, kind of go hand in hand would be um, oxygen supply. So that would be <clears throat> my ability of like, A, the lungs to bring in oxygen and B, the heart to pump it peripherally. Um, with that would be oxygen delivery. So that's just, that's, you know, capillaries, vessels, everything kind of bringing the, uh, red blood cells, let's say, um, everything that's going to deliver that blood, that oxygen to the muscle. And then oxygen utilization would be the third, which is just the muscle's ability to use the oxygen you're giving it, I guess. Um, <clears throat> so then I think from there it's, it's, you know, like what's my limiting factor. And I think with Moxie, you can get pretty specific with it but it could also just serve as like an audit, you know, for, I guess we could dive into examples as well. But I mean, if I'm trying to do this low end kind of low range aerobic stuff, I'm probably looking more at that oxygen supply, oxygen delivery um, area. And then when I do some of that interval work, some of that hard effort, even strength training, I'm probably looking at more of like that oxygen utilization work. That makes sense. No, that's exactly what I was, what is kind of, kind of where my head was at with all this. So I'm glad you're kind of, you're validating me. It's great. I love it. Um, <laughs> um, uh, so let's t talk a little bit then about each one in particular. Um, yeah. Cause I, I know Justin Moore wrote a great article, which I'm sure I, I've referenced it a bunch of times. I think we've talked about it on our, our, our chats before and I can link it in the notes for people that I haven't read it. Um, he just talks about the value of, uh, deliver oxygen delivery to people that are in a chronic state of low oxygen, even at rest. Um, is that something you see like pretty commonly with your, with your population, people just not having a lot of oxygen to work with, like right from the jump? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, and it's a, it's a tough one to look at. Like, I think I probably need even a bigger sample size, you know, of just looking at, cause it's going to be oxygen, like the percent SMO2 that's available there. And yeah, I think a lot of people just start fair. I should say actually, yes. A lot of them start low. Uh, meaning like 60, 65% is like their baseline of where they're at. Um, <clears throat> and then it's like the hemoglobin, the blood flow coming in might also be low. And that's probably one I look at less than I should as far as like, okay, we have, you know, the percentage of oxygen is low, but what's like the absolute number also coming in, if that makes sense. Um, so, and I think, yeah, part of that is the reason is that like people, you know, here working out and they'll do these hard interval stuff or they'll try and get into shape like really quickly. They don't want to do that kind of slower pace, like not, you know, high exertional stuff. I think it's, you know, boring. And even if they do do that, they're probably going at a pace that's maybe a little, and I think Justin did talk about this, a pace that's a little too fast and they're actually are still depleting oxygen, still creating tension with tension within the system. Um, and right, just kind of, counterproductive toxin delivery i guess yeah yeah no no that's that's exactly what i was thinking too and you talked about one other thing that i found that was interesting with that is the tension in the system which i think we like overlook a lot of times like why are we in this state well 
like you said, we're blunting things with the amount of the intensity that we're doing things, or we're just completely detrained and in positions chronically all day that are just causing tension, sympathetic nervous system, all that kind of stuff. Would that be kind of accurate? Yeah, hundred percent. Um, and I've tried to look at that too. Cause I think that's a huge part is like, right. That positional aspect. Like if I can get myself in a better position, do I see that blood flow? Um, I don't know if it's sensitive enough to where I've seen it, but I think that's huge as far as just tension. Like if I'm in a crappy position and my muscles always on tension, like it's, probably not going to get as much blood flow as it should <clears throat> i'm probably gonna rely more on like you know tendons kind of producing movement as well versus muscular contractions um so yeah no i think that's a huge part of it um so, so what do you do i think you already referenced like a warm-up can help increase smo2 um but what are what are some other things you do to maybe increase that baseline level before like beginning something or, or you're just working on a day where you want to over deliver oxygen to the system like a lower intensity day Sure, sure. I think the over delivery of oxygen, uh, <clears throat> I think it's two ways. One would be super slow, like biking is probably better than running just because you're getting that hard impulse um, and probably going to get a quick contraction. So you might not get that, um, what do you call it, that slow blood delivery, slow and increased blood delivery versus, so with people who are, and just might reference this as well, but with people who are, you know, athletic or used to strength training or sprinting or high kind of output stuff, a lot of times you'll see them even on like a slow, steady state bike that you're thinking, okay, we're improving, you know, we're improving blood flow, we're improving oxygen delivery to this. Like it has to be super slow to actually see that happen. Like mine is like literally like that slow when I'm biking on it. So that's one way to do it. Um, and it's probably something that needs to be improved upon. And I shouldn't say that. I think, you know, if, if I'm a sprinter or something like that, maybe I don't need to like put too much emphasis on that. So, you know, if it's just general population, maybe I do. Um, and kind of piggybacking off of that is, is the idea of oxygen supply and, uh, you know, the two heart rate adaptations we could have, or excuse me, the two cardiac output adaptations we could have would be eccentric hypertrophy, where it's just, you know, this greater geometric filling of the heart. I've got more blood that can go in. I've got more that can pump out versus concentric, which is just the, that thickness of the wall. So it's just that harder pump. Um, <clears throat> if I want that efficiency, I want it to expand. So I probably want my heart rate under 70% just so it's not beating too quick where it can't, you know, get that full expansion. But then I also want, and this is where the moxie comes in handy. I also want to see compressions at the muscle versus if I start to see occlusions, which I think like strong people used to, you know, creating tension and lifting or detrained people, like you said, are way more used to, you know, these hard movements than like smooth movements, coordinated efforts. So they might get little occlusions, meaning the muscle, you know, um, contracts so hard that the blood coming in just kind of pools there. Uh, or excuse me, it comes in, but it kind of pools on the way out. So I'll get like this venous occlusion. Uh, so what that does is now my heart's got to work hard. So now I'm getting that concentric hypertrophy when I'm looking for the other one, the eccentric. Versus if I get that smooth, you know, which for, you know, somebody who's, used to strength training, it's probably gonna be super slow. To get that smooth compression, that's gonna create kind of an increased blood flow back to the heart, and now maybe I'm getting a preload there, because for older people, like, it's probably difficult to get that eccentric hypertrophy, but they might be able to do it. Um, so going kind of back to, like, for most of the people I train, I think that just takes too long for the, A, the ones who, you know, <clears throat> aren't focusing solely on like an endurance sport uh they won't have the attention span for it and for sprinters i don't know if that's what i want so the other way to increase smo2 would be like hard effort um maybe i have them do like bike sprints or something like that for six seconds rest for 30 six seconds rest for 30 something that's not going to fatigue their you know systemically too much but it will start to increase blood flow to the muscle so you will still kind of see the same thing um of that increased smo2 at the local level and what was i going to say um yeah so i think i'll i'll use those two as kind of warm-up um protocols yeah so i i like what you're saying because justin even referenced that he just uses like really low to no resistance bike sprints to get that and so now sprinting is a little different because the resistance is going to be a bit different but i've noticed for me like even on my low intensity days i will cycle in some 10 meter sprints at close to 100 percent intensity with like two or three minutes rest between each one like ridiculous like way longer than it needs to be but if you go to that like absolute full recovery again i don't have a moxie so i can't tell you what's going on but 
you can feel, I'm, I'm feeling what you're talking about here in terms of getting, uh, you know, just a higher level of oxygen in my system before I do anything else, if that makes sense. No, hundred percent. I've had way better luck. Like personally, if I go super slow and try and do that method, like it just takes so long and the increase in uh, SMO2 is so gradual versus if I do those high outputs, I could do like five quick ones. Like you said, like six seconds, rest enough where I'm not taking from the workout itself. And I just see these pretty, you know, generous increase in SMO2. So yeah, and I pretty much use the same method. Too. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's awesome. The other, the other one I use a lot, um, if we want to talk like even we can fix like two birds with one stone would be like positional stuff in a like a it could be a body weight or really lightly loaded circuit and i'll alternate like sides so it might be like an upper left hand push or left this is the left hand <laughs> upper left hand push you know a a uh you know a lower right leg push and then you just you cross body and everything yeah. like that i don't know if that's something you've ever used or anything like that but that's kind of another one i've kind of thought about before no, 100%. I like that. And like, yeah, kind of like that contralateral stuff. Of, I think that's huge. And right, you can get that blood flow going each way. And now I'm recovering on this side, maybe getting more blood flow and doing it just kind of back and forth. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no. So this is my other question then, like before we get over to the utilization side of things, is yeah. it ever a problem or is there a downside to like over delivering too much oxygen to the system? Like what kind of number like looks good to you? Like you never see someone at like 90 plus percent, do you? No, but I think, um, I think people who are good, like mid to long distance runners, triathletes, things like that, I think they get there, um, where they just, yeah, are really good at delivering that muscle. I don't see that as much. I might have gotten, here's the other um, way that I might have seen 90% is even some of that hypoxia training, um, will do something similar, um, as far as getting that over oversatur oversupply i guess of of oxygen to the system so like fusing the spiral tiger and things like that i have seen that bring it up pretty high um i'm trying to think of how else yeah those might have been the big ones but there's um, no downside to you like like to, to being that that way okay okay I don't, as long as you could use it you know because then that's the other part right the oxygen utilization yeah i don't think so Okay. So, so talk about that now with the utilization. Um, I, I, so after reading Justin's article, I got stuck on delivery for a couple of weeks and I'm, I'm already like, like I said, like kind of like hey, glycolysis, like, yeah, we need to train it a little, but like, I don't want to be in that realm too often and, and have people rely on it too much. But then I started thinking, you know, a couple of weeks later, I'm like, Oh, there is another side to this continuum. You do have to be able to like you, like for me, for example, you compare me to like rich froning and we do a wad, right? And I, right. you know, it's a 30 minute wad. I'm going to bottom mine out in about 45 seconds to a minute and a half on whatever it is. But I, I've heard some people say like, not rich necessarily, but, but some people like, I, I don't know if you know, Evan Pacon, he, he's talked about this a bunch. He's, not um, sure. he's a, he's a moxie guy and he works with a ton of CrossFit athletes down in Atlanta. Yep. And he was saying like a good CrossFitter, like a pro CrossFitter can utilize his oxygen so that by the time the wad ends, that's exactly like almost precisely the moment where he bottoms out his oxygen. So like he, they're just masters of utilizing every stitch of oxygen. Whereas me, like I said, if I do the same wad, like I'm toast in two minutes and I'm going to be operating yeah. in, a, in a glycolytic or hypoxic state for the rest of the, the wad. Um, right. So yeah, yeah. So anything you, you can share on that or elaborating on that would be great. <clears throat> yeah. Um, yeah, I think so. Like just to give another example there, I was with the CrossFitters and uh, related to Moxie and the ability to, I guess, to use so i would also put it at you know not only the ability to use oxygen really well because i think somebody like a like a sprinter or something like that or even like a power lifter can probably desat oxygen really well um but they but the type of compression i guess they create at the muscle is probably so strong that like they're not getting that supply in so they're creating this occlusion or excuse me the, you know maybe the blood's not leaving uh with a venous occlusion or an arterial occlusion it's not even coming in so, and you'll see that with Moxie. Uh, so the example that um, Aaron Davis at Train Adapt Evolved would use or used when we were down there was he had this guy who was a CrossFitter. Um, he was super good at, you know, just high output stuff that he could do for a long time, like all those guys are good at. And he said what he saw with him was that he was able to, like, so for you and I, maybe we, um, maybe we can do a compression, meaning we could, you know, do a lift, to call it whatever, call it bench. And at 30% of our 1RM, 
that's where maybe we get like this decent compression where O2's going down a little, blood flow's dropping a little, like stuff's being used, but I could go for pretty long here versus once we get up to 40, 50%, like now we're probably getting occlusion. I've got to create more tension to create this work. So I'm not getting as much blood flow to the system. I'm going to bottom out, use survival mechanisms like much quicker. He was talking about this guy, you know, who could do that stuff forever. And he was like, I think he put him up to like 70% of a one RM, which is probably around what a lot of the CrossFit stuff, you know, tends to be. And he was like, he was still creating compressions, which is kind of, yeah, ridiculous. So it was like, he was able to just, you know, keep going and not have that be like that blood flow supply be his limiting factor just because it was still coming in, still coming in super efficient. Um, which, yeah, that was super cool. So, so getting back to like the oxygen utilization, I think a lot of the people who have trouble here, uh, not that it shouldn't be approved upon for everybody, but a lot of the people that might have trouble would be people that are either more slow twitch or not all that good at producing a ton of force and using it. Um, but it could also, it, it could be a range of people. Uh, so I think there's the, like the things to improve oxygen utilization, like the muscle's ability to use the oxygen would be to accumulate CO2. So like create a more acidic environment um, to signal the transaction to drop off O2 at the muscle. Uh, so to do that, maybe you do like hypoxic work, things like breath holds or some of that spiral tiger stuff or just local hypoxic work, which would be, you know, like static dynamic, that slow up, slow down, three seconds up, three seconds down. Um, high reps would be a huge one. Like you'll see O2 just go down quickly. Isometrics, you'll see it go down quickly. And then it's just kind of staying there, like getting, you know, maybe you bring it down to 20% and then you repeat 10%, repeat 10%, repeat. Um, it's kind of doing that hard interval stuff or hard strength stuff and watching that O2 go down. Uh, so so the, the, the trick would be, sorry to cut in, but I'm just curious. The yeah, trick yeah. would be then you don't want to spend too long down there though, while trying to train this stuff because then we're not training utilization anymore. Right. 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 Um, yeah. We're probably not training oxygen utilization at that point. Like maybe it's still coming in just cause like it can't survive without it, but it's a little bit at a time. So I think maybe I'm getting a little bit of oxidative training, you know, especially like even anaerobic glycolysis like i'm still probably gonna get mitochondria um, yeah yeah generation but like all the other costs that are associated with that like muscle damage you know all this stuff that now and like you said just not i'm not training oxygen utilization as well like i'm kind of doing it less good i'm getting all these other costs that come with it they're going to take from tomorrow's workout or the day after tomorrow's workout so this is this is actually kind of tedious and for someone like me for example because it's the, the beauty of this is it's very task specific. Like, yes, I might not be good at utilize, utilizing oxygen. And I'm glad you said what you said like a couple minutes ago. I'm not good at utilizing oxygen in that manner, but I'm very good at it in a sprint or, or, a, or a more max effort lift because that's what I'm good at. But if I need to extend my utilization period out longer and I have to train that way, it's going to be kind of tedious for me in the early stages because I'm going to be bottoming out so quickly, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, and so then I think it's, you know, it's kind of maybe it's combination methods, but still maybe avoiding lactate, like some of, like that special endurance stuff. Because then it's like, what are the other factors too? So, so maybe I do like a 200 meter run where it's a pretty quick pace, but I'm not feeling like that heavy burning acid heat feeling in the legs. So I'm like, I'm utilizing oxygen, but I'm just not utilizing it as quickly. Um, as maybe an all out sprint, because I've, I've got to, you know, regulate my speed. So like, yeah, I'm building that. Maybe I'm building, you know, structures too and just developing skill and relaxation as I run, which I think are also going to, you know, back end lead to improved repeat sprint ability, improved endurance or whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah, I think it's just, it's, it's having that, but even like just realizing it's one piece of the puzzle. You know what I mean? Like, so a 60 second sprint. Yeah, I'm going to deset well, but like, what else am I looking for? What are the costs? What are the other benefits of it? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. So this is kind of a, for those that are not attuned to this though, I see that I could see that train, the training for this being like kind of a long road. Like it doesn't sound like it would be a lot of fun. <laughs> right. Right. And I think it's like anything else, you know, it's like, it's, if my goal is whatever repeated sprintability, it's yeah. Like I got to hit a bunch of things. Like I've got to, you know, I got to keep a bunch of things in mind, pay attention to cost and right. Look at like, what's my limiting factor. Okay. Improve that. What's this, what's my limiting factor here. Improve that. Um, uh, you mentioned repeat sprints a lot, and I know uh, I actually missed our chat on it a couple of weeks ago. I don't know if you were in on it with Joe and all. I it also, yeah. Um, uh, but it's interesting because I've always kind of thought like I'd like I want to have the output 
before I start to show competency in repeating efforts. Because if I can repeat efforts all day at a very low output to me, like in sport, that's not good. That's not impressive. That's not what we need. Um, but I know other people think differently. So I was curious uh, for you, when you look at like repeat sprint, or, you know, repeat, repeat sprints, um, what, what's kind of your take on it? Like, where do you start and then where do you go to and maybe tie in some of like what we've been talking about here with the oxygen, moxie and all that other stuff? Yeah. Um, so I think I use repeat sprints to like mean two different things and I just talk about them together. Like they're the same, but, uh, so like on one end I call repeat sprints, um, full recovery, like call it 40 meter runs. So in that S in that sense, I'm trying to train, you know, like you said, max output. I want to be able to get faster. So maybe I time, you know, all five of them. And if like, I'm pretty detrained, ah, that's not true. If I'm detrained, I could probably just don't have enough output, but <laughs> If I don't have, I guess, any repeatability, but I'm pretty fast, you know, maybe my first one is that I call four eight, and then my second's four nine, and I've got full rest, you know, maybe six minutes rest between. But still, my third, my fourth, my fifth, you know, maybe they are five seconds, five one, five one, something like that. Um, so I kind of call that repeat sprintability in that I want to improve my ability to accumulate good volume, I guess, if that makes sense. Uh, and in that sense, you know, maybe I'm not looking at oxygen as much like that. This is probably something like Moxie and, you know, things that it provides probably aren't something I'm looking at. I'm more looking at like his or your skill while you're doing that, you know, getting these efforts in, giving full recovery and then just letting time kind of build up that ability. Um, and I think that's huge, too. Like I would, you know, I really would want to see somebody's like, yeah, an outlier performance is great. Maybe he hits a four six one day, but like. If he just hit six, four, eights at full recovery, like to me, that's improvement there. You know, like <clears throat> at any given time, like in a game, he could produce this high output. You know, if he has full recovery, he could produce a high output, pretty fast um, effort versus somebody who doesn't have that, you know, and you're always wondering like, what's their energy like today? And I kind of mean like this more like globally, like what's his energy level yeah, like? Yeah. Is he going to put it to uh, the effort? Um, but then the other, okay, it's like repeated sprintability of, I think that some of the literature calls it like six seconds on 60 off, you know, something like, like an average game. So it's a little more, a little more capacity based, still a lack, yeah. but yeah. Yeah. And then I think, I think I agree with you of like, I want output probably first, but I almost do do them concurrently. And with the idea that like, yeah, I'm trying to improve capabilities and capacity and things like that, but I also just want them to be better sprinters. So initially like, um, like the Derek Hansen has the 10 by 10 yard approach. So yep. I sprint 10 yards, walk back, sprint 10 yards, 10 times. Um, and I've even moxied that too and saw that, you know, action probably goes down to 20, comes up to 40 and it kind of continues that. So I never really lose it completely. So I'm probably not in that survival mode. But what I am getting is like a lot of reps that are quality. Yeah, it's output starting to drop a bit, but I'm learning to relax. I'm learning to move a little more efficiently. Um, and I'm learning to, I guess, you know, be a little bit smoother, not force effort, which I think is also important. I think that capacity element could build that and lead to better, um, I guess, all out outputs. I think in a, like James Smith, I think he has the applied sprint training and he yep. talks about that a lot too, as far as using like short to long or long to short approaches and the benefits of even a long to short with like, you know, a football player who's not going to do that is like, I want to be able to, you know, improve that relaxation ability. Like in any sport, you know, you just kind of notice the other huge part about endurance is I got to be skilled, but I got to be able to re be relaxed while I'm doing it. Like if I'm yeah. all tense like this, I'm going to be dead in, you know, two plays. Yeah, no, um, I, I love that. Cause uh, so I've thought, you know, this long to short, short to long, like I've always kind of been more of a short to long guy, but I've always included some sort of extensive tempo and then usually progressed it into an intensive tempo at some point in like, I don't know, an eight, 12, 16 week block, because they kind of have to meet in the middle at some point. And like you said, like we, especially someone that's new at acceleration, like they don't relax super well doing it. So I have seen no problem adding in some of that kind of stuff. Right. Right. right, right. I think it's like, again, like just, you know, what's their limiting factor? What could help me do that? And then like the cost might be a little too much lactate and like, yeah, I'm going to accumulate, you know, some fatigue products maybe I don't care as much in this block or maybe I have enough days in between where the next day could still be high output. Yeah. You know, like I can combine everything, but still have like an emphasis in this one block, emphasis in this block. Good. We, we think very similarly on this and that's why that's the other reason why I wanted to bring you on. 
I, I haven't dig, dug into this enough yet, but you mentioned concurrent training and uh, everything I'm doing and thinking about these days is all concurrent. Um, and I remember like being a grad, grad assistant and being very on the block side of things. But uh, I mean, personally for me, I feel like if you have time to re like relentlessly pursue one quality that you think the athlete really needs, then I, I suppose it's not too bad. But I, I hate now looking at that in a vacuum and then also understanding that the constraint of time is never really on our side to do that. Um, so I was just kind of curious from your perspective, because I know you've been doing a lot of concurrent training and stuff you're posting on Instagram and everything. Um, what, what has been the benefits for you? Have you debated this kind of block versus concurrent to get to this point? Kind of take me through that thought process for you. Yeah, no, for sure. I've definitely gone back and forth too. Um, cause I think like a lot of methods are really good at utilizing that like specific block training, like the Caldeets and like all that triphasic stuff. I think yep. it's awesome for it. Um, but then for me, like I always kind of did a little bit more concurrent uh and part of that is probably just like what i've been more comfortable with and like having experimented with myself like what i've seen you know my own results um so i do keep it concurrent and like you said like i kind of don't want any quality to fall by the wayside too far like i want to be aerobically pretty fit i want to keep you know neural output pretty high meaning i want like sprints or something like that and i'd like strength to you know at least stay and this depends on like i'm talking about you know myself or athletes i'd like strength to stay at like a level that you know, that allows them to have like maximized potential for speed, for output and things like that. Um, and then like the other end is, you know, is a little bit of like resilience. So maybe that's higher reps and hypertrophy, or maybe that's, you know, positional work and like being able to hold a stacked position. So I think I do concurrent, but I do it with specific emphases or however you uh, plural that word. Uh, so <laughs> I do concurrent, um, emphasize. But like, so, so for instance, my last block, you know, if it was my strength work would be more power based. So I just found, you know, whatever using the gym aware, whatever weight produced the most wattage, that was the weight I kind of stuck at. And I kept up with that. And then I'd have probably one day, you know, a week of both where I kept volume super low and I did it like half as an audit, half because it was fun and half just to keep strength maintenance in there. It was like work up to a heavy single or a heavy double where it's not a complete grind for the most part, you know, and just see where I'm at. Um, so like that was the strength part, you know, but there's been other blocks where it's like, you know, maybe my goal is more strength orientated and I'm doing more volume strength training, you know, like, so now maybe I'm doing like a five by 10 or something that just has a lot more volume, maybe a little hypertrophy. Um, so yeah, continue off, sorry, that power block. And now like the block now I want to be able to, produce force even quicker like so now i've dropped the weight even more i'm at like 30 percent. i'm just trying to keep velocity high um i think a lot of people you know get strong but they don't necessarily get good at producing that force quickly without like the feedback of something heavy on you yeah. you know like to oh, do yeah. it without any feedback and just like boom go i think is a it's a skill as much as anything else so i think like this block like that's the skill i'm trying to develop not let strength fall by the wayside it's there but it's super low volume sprints you know are like my big like that's what i want to actually see improved yeah so i think i just try and keep like kpis like is my speed getting faster on the treadmill or with you know free lap uh aerobic fitness part of it i i just use you know like how do i feel when i do tempo runs things like that and then strength like i'll just do you know i'll audit it with like a heavy single of something and see what it feels like yeah this is this is exactly how i train and have been viewing it for the last like year or so and um my, my one sticking point though is where to fit in hypertrophy work. And you, you didn't, you mentioned it, you touched on it a little, but like, let's say you're in this power block, for example, because I'm really all about velocities too. Like I, for yeah. me, it's like, I'll touch a, a heavy weight once in a while to make sure I still got it, you know, but like, yeah, for me, it's like, I want to move the, I'll either like do some time sets and hit a certain number of reps with like a light load or a dynamic effort or something along those lines. I'm always looking at that. Do you, will you like kind of, sprinkle hypertrophy into a block like that or does it kind of go by the wayside until another block hits yeah i get uh so i'll like personally and then for uh my other people like for, so personally i i've never like been as into the hypertrophy side like i'd rather see performance i think part of it was just you know had like competed in more weight-based sports like judo or um boxing or jiu-jitsu and we're like, you didn't want to put on size. You wanted to get as fast and as strong and as fit as you could, but at that weight. 
So I think that's always been like more the game personally for me. It's like, what could I do at this size? Like I don't want to put on size. Um, but then I think for, you know, for some of the athletes, like they want that. And then I think, so I guess that will go more into my strength, you know, maybe a strength phase. And then I'll sprinkle it in for maintenance when I'm in velocity stuff. Cause I think people do respond well, like with strength gains to a lot of volume. Um, or it might even be a, you know, maybe I substitute out for them a, like one of the tempo days or something like that. And I put in something that's like high density. I think high density, you know, is like even the 30, 30. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it's 30 minutes. It's sure. I don't feel like, you know, I think like systemic fatigue a lot of times happens just because I've extended the workout too long. Like, you know, it's an hour, hour and a half. It's short enough. I don't feel dead the next day, but I packed in like so much quality work in that 30 minutes. I do know it's like you could probably put on some muscle, um, especially for someone, you know, who's maybe not like at, hey, if you're top end and you really want to put on more muscle, like obviously it's going to have to be focused. But for like a lot of the athletes I have, like, I don't think it needs to be. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm a lot of, a lot of my, so, so this is kind of how I've been viewing it. Uh, I do all my stuff with sprints as kind of the foundation. I think similar to what you do. Um, mm -hmm. And for me, like a, let's just say it's a typical, like just kind of my standard block in my head. If I were to come up with one, like, or a standard week, like what it would look like. And usually I want to do some sort of like dynamic effort potentiation with some like shorter accelerations to kind of prime me for the week. Then I do a bigger session where I, I'll probably hit some heavier weights, but it's also one of my bigger sprint days, sprint first and lift. Uh, I might take a day off. I might hit another heavy day. And then mm -hmm. let's, so let's say it's a four day split. And then on Friday, just to dump before the weekend where I'm not worried about like the volume. Cause you have the weekend to recover. I'll hit like some pretty sub max, but high volume work that specifically focuses on positional stuff first. So for example, like for me, I do like a zercher heels elevated zercher where I'm just working on vertical displacement of the pelvis. That's what I've been doing recently. And I'm gonna hit like five sets of 15 of that uh, with like, right. but like, like 115 pounds, like, cause I'm not emphasizing load. You know, right? And, so, like RPE wise, like, what do you get at fifteen? Like, oh, you three more. Or? It's it's yeah. a position. So if you yeah. just let it go, you could probably. I could I could I could grind out twenty five, but I don't want. Yeah, to. yeah, yeah. but it's positional. <laughs> yeah, 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 no yeah, yeah, yeah. So like that's kind of like how I've seen. Like I can get a little. I actually can get a little hypertrophy with that. I feel like even though it's not a crazy high load because my tempo's slow, I'm getting a lot of like we talked about some of the benefits of positional positional work just for feeling better and then i don't know maybe something you know oxidate uh, you know oxidatively as well um yeah. and then i'll just kind of go into some sort of circuit where i'm getting some reciprocal movement of push and pull uh maybe some sort of single leg i try to keep it all pretty dense like you're saying and then boom i'm done um yeah is that kind of like along like is that something you you kind of do as well or, or does that seem out of place for like everything else that's going on in that training week no i mean i kind of like that uh yeah, I think it's just like goal oriented too. Like, you know, if I'm, if I want to hold on to that hypertrophy, I think that's awesome. Yeah. And then I think the other thing, like a lot of athletes and stuff or, you know, kids, anybody, I guess, like they like those days of like coming in and just hitting, like getting a pump and doing that. Um, oh, you know, there's biceps and triceps in it, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like they love that stuff. Um, and yeah, I probably like, I do it more with like, you know, with like, so today with tempo runs or something like that, where I'll almost make it like a certain, like I'll do my tempo run, but then I'll have, and I'll just call it like general conditioning, like push-ups or something that are high reps or, you know, even like arm work that are high reps. But yeah, I think it ends up being like a little bit of hypertrophy work. Um, and yeah, you know, even like going back to that block training um, of Isran's like block training book of talking about with like high stress, all that speed stuff and a lot of um, high output work, how like hypertrophy, your weight could drop and all that could drop. So yeah, it probably is more necessary and I probably do it more than I even kind of realize I'm doing it of like keeping in that higher rep stuff. Um, but for me, like just making sure it doesn't take from the main goal, I guess if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, 100%, 100%. I'll actually, now that you mentioned, I forgot, I will put some tempo runs on top of that. And then- Oh, afterwards? I, no, before. So I'll do usually do it before and then yeah. roll. So there's no warm up and just roll right into- uh, you know, the, the, you know, five or six like lifts that I have, you know, programmed for the day or whatever. And sometimes it is just a bodyweight circuit with like, you even mentioned like some of that statodynamic stuff and, and whatnot. Yeah. Like, so, so I'm definitely like kind of using all those things. And then as I progress, usually let's say we get like eight weeks in or something like that, I might 
take those extensive tempos and make them intensive tempos. Cause again, we're at the weekend. It's not the end of the world. I'll just lower the yeah. reps, shorten the rest and, and roll through it and try to get a little bit more of that, you know, hypoxic state or, or, or train a little bit more of that utilization aspect of things. Um, yeah. So yeah. Do you feel good then like Monday going in, like you're fine, you're good to go. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I don't do well with extended periods of time off. So like if I, chill on the weekend like i need that primer day like i talked about so badly yeah, like, i can't just dive yeah. in like and i think a lot of people are like that i i have not talked to many or seen many people like in some of the places i've been that enjoy like hitting it really hard on monday if they have had two days off so yeah yeah, yeah. i know that's talked about in that black training book too of like you're right, that primer day and i'm the same yeah. way right about two days off, i'm just like flat. yeah oh my gosh not yeah man, man. <laughs> yeah it's horrible it's horrible but um but yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad you're talking about this kind of stuff because I still worry sometimes, and this is, I think, probably unfounded, but I mean, even Cal talks about it in triphasic. Like, if we hit too many qualities at once, we'll never get good at any one thing. But I, I look at, like, especially team sport athletes or people that aren't in individual sports, there's just mm -hmm. so many components to what's making them successful or not successful. I feel like we don't have to be elite in it, at a lot of the qualities that we're teaching. We just don't. Like, we just have to be proficient at them. Um, yeah. Maybe I'm wrong with that, but, but I feel like concurrent training works really well for that um, rather than worrying about all these residuals and, and stacking everything in this like such an orderly manner that I don't feel like works a lot of times because kids just aren't compli that compliant. So, oh, right. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, especially like I can't count on people to be here for like a 12-week block. And yeah, that stacking method, like I'll kind of go a back and forth method almost where like I'm building a little bit. But yeah, like the stacking of like pure, I think block training, I don't know if I'm yeah, too successful with. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think Cal's just in a unique, I always try to say this, like, I don't think Cal's wrong. I just think Cal's. Oh no, unique. I think he's yeah. producing amazing results. Yeah, and I know exactly. guys who are over there too, like, who yeah, have awesome results using that way. Exactly. But I think he has a lot more control of his situation than many of us do in our respective situations, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, no, I completely agree. My friend Derek over there too is really good at using that stuff. And I think like, they just like, that's kind of what they, I feel like experiment with and what they use all the time. And like, they've just gotten really good at making it work. Um, yeah. versus right. Like you were saying, like, I, you know, probably go concurrent more. And I think just as long as you like have KPI, like, you know, like those key performance indicators, like are all those things going up or is like one going up and the other isn't then yeah, like, I'm detracting from equality. Why is that here? Should it be higher emphasis or should I just take it out? Um, yeah. What are, what are your big rock KPIs then? I mean, you mentioned free lap, so I imagine you're, you're worrying about like flying tens and whatnot, but. Yeah, 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 yeah. So those would be um, for myself, just having the treadmill makes it easy because I'll just do max speed on that or I'll do flying tens with the free lap. I will like strength maintenance will just be, you know, like what could I hit at a, you know, pretty heavy single or double. Um, Let's see what are the others the aerobic stuff i honestly go tend to go by feel there and i'm trying to think how i've done it in the past but i think i usually just go by feel like i i have <clears throat> if i use the treadmill or if i'm outside i'll use a stopwatch like and i want to be able to you know hit the same pace get more reps in week to week and like feel good i guess feel better after not like feel like i'm dying or feel like there's you know that lactate accumulation that burning feeling so mm -hmm. i'll kind of use that as my like my big ones um i'm trying to think how else oh just going on i think we talked about this a little before too but just riding off like one of the advantages of block training might be these past two months where we've you know couldn't go inside at all so had one you know group that pretty much trained primarily like you would run track practice um saying, like they were just you know, we pretty much did sprint, hard sprints for acceleration one day. Maybe it was tempo, extensive work another. Um, maybe it was max velocity, you know, or acceleration again the next. And then the last one would be like a fun day where maybe it was a lot of agility, but like games and stuff like that. Very yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's two months of that. And like, yeah, their times were getting better on the stopwatch. But what was really cool was to see them on the treadmill, you know, having all their speeds beforehand. And like all their speeds were so much better they looked better they could put out high output and it's maybe like, like yeah maybe with some people you know like it depends what the goal is i guess but like that maybe a block of just like something they're you know maybe need some work on or something you would really like to see improve like maybe you go all in on that because yeah their upper body strength levels aren't as high like so in season or close to season like probably not going to do that but maybe you know for a time like this like 
black training kind of worked for just high speed stuff and aerobic uh, development. See, I don't think that's bad either because I mean, again, we're talking about concurrent, but I'm, I'm, I'm always incorporating some sort of sprinting. I just think it's yes. the closest thing we have to the task at hand. And it's so technical in nature. And so many people are not accustomed, especially in like a 10 yard, a young kid in a 10 yard sprint. Like how many times do you have a, a kid in a 10 yard sprint where you're like, we're going to sprint 10 yards. And he's like, well, I can't go fast in 10 yards. Like it's, he oh, yeah. envisions like I need 30 yards to get to my top speed. And it's like, bro, you, you don't like, we just need to teach you how to use this 10 yards to your advantage. You know? Yeah, 100%. All right. I think it's like, like, that's part of it too. Like, yeah, they just got to be taught like, or just do enough reps where they, you know, figure it out. Um, and even, I guess, within that example, like that wasn't really block either. That was concurrent. It was both aerobic. It yeah. was, you know, and there was special endurance days. So those were probably more lactate buffering days. So I guess, yeah, like it's, I, I just, I lean more towards. Yeah, you're just, you're definitely, it's definitely your, your focus is speed, but you're mixing in what you're doing. And again, I think that goes back to what we're talking about, like short to long, long to short. There's, there's, I think, great points to both, especially for young athletes that you need to have. And then you just kind of meet in the middle at the end. And that's, that's where you are, you know, um, right. in terms right. of all that. Yeah. Yeah. No, man, I got to come out and hang out with you. We, we, we pretty, I knew, I knew from everything I was seeing and then listening to you in these chats, I was like, I knew we were pretty similar in all the stuff we were thinking. So, and then I honestly, like, honestly, you, your Instagram, I love watching it. Cause it's like exactly how I program things. So I'm like, Oh yeah, I love this. This is great. <laughs> oh, I love that. Thank you. But, um, but no, man, before I let you go, Dan, um, any, uh, anything you want to promote, any projects, social media, uh, gym, anything like that? Uh, no promotion. I mean, I said, you know, just, Got the gym here. Hopefully we could open at some point down in Darien. If anyone's in Darien, come down. Uh, it's called Build. And yeah, my Instagram's probably the only place I frequently post, which is Build CT. That's it. Okay. Awesome, man. Dude, Dan, thanks so much for the time. Really Thank appreciate you. it. And uh, and yeah, looking forward to, to seeing you all, I guess, once a week with, uh, with Joe's Talks. And maybe we'll get you on again sometime to, to dig into more stuff. That'd be awesome. Thanks, Thanks, thanks Dan. Appreciate it. Man.